All right, so we are in week three of our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter three this morning. And if, there's a, a, if there is a theme, which is a big if, if there's a theme to the book of Matthew, it's that the kingdom of God is here. Now, Matthew has lots of themes, and people like to argue about which one it is, but that's at least one of them. And that gets introduced this morning with John the Baptist, okay? Actually, John the Baptist introduced that theme, and Jesus picked it up and carried it through his ministry and his teaching, okay? That same phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand, you'll see first through John the Baptist this morning. And so I'm going to introduce the idea of the kingdom of God to you, and then we're gonna, you're going to see Jesus exemplify it in so many different ways, and Matthew focuses on it constantly, okay? So this won't be the last time you hear this phrase, all right? So the other thing you need to see in terms of time, like last week we were like the birth of Jesus, the wise men, all of that, the Christmas story, and then this week we're, we see, or really it'll be next week when we see Jesus in his baptism, he's an adult, okay? So in that little white space in your Bible between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 is Jesus' entire childhood, all right? <laughs> in that little space, all right? You can write... Jesus' childhood happens here, all right? Matthew doesn't go into it. He just skips through all of that. Um, it's fun to wonder what Jesus was like as like a two-year-old. I, I don't know. I, I wish I knew. It would be really fascinating what the differences are between Jesus as a two-slash-three-year-old, because three is really worse than two, but the, the terrible twos is a myth. They should talk about the terrible threes. But um, what was he like? I don't know. It's just not here. And so we're jumping forward in time to Jesus as an adult, and we have John the Baptist who comes onto the scene. Now remember, we have to keep in mind that before this, we had about 400 years of prophetic silence. Now they had the, the Old Testament prophets in their scriptures, so it's not like God was really silent. He had just not given them a new prophetic voice in 400 years. And in those 400 years, it was pretty much, give or take 100 years, a terrible, terrible time for Israel, okay? And all of a sudden, who comes on the scene, this new prophet? This would have been like the buzz about town. This, is what a, this was what people talked about at the Starbucks. Have you heard about this guy, John the Baptist, outside town, out where it's, and he wears his weird clothes, he dressed like a homeless guy out there, He's, he wears the clothes, not rich clothes, he, he, he wears camel hair. That's what poor people wore, right? He eats honey and locusts, bugs, okay? He ate what poor people ate. And he's out there yelling about this stuff. And have you gone out there to one of his meetings? It's really crazy. He's baptizing people. Baptism, really? What's that? Well, he's dunking people in water and, you know, it's this crazy thing. So this would have been... You know, is he a true prophet? Is this the first prophet we've seen in 400 years? Well, the answer is yes, all right? So let's read this, and we'll see as he is pointing the way to Jesus and actually opens the door for Jesus' ministry um, next week at his baptism. So this is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, quote, so this is his message, his, his, a summary of his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, 
when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay, so Matthew again quotes an Old Testament prophet saying that Jesus, and in this case, John the Baptist, who's preparing the way for Jesus, is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Okay? So Matthew summarizes the message of John the Baptist, so this is important. Matthew's giving us a clue. This is what John the Baptist was primarily about. That message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means it's, it's right here. It's now. It's like in anything that, if you said that, it's, I mean, people don't walk around nowadays saying, uh, my, my wrench is at hand. You say, my wrench is right here, right? But that's what that means. It's right here, close enough to touch and grasp and use, okay? That's what he means by that. So there was much discussion and debate in these days about the nature of the promised kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. By the way, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same thing. Some people make a huge deal about that there's a difference. There is no difference, all right? It's just so in the other gospels you'll see and in Acts and in Paul's writings, he talks about the kingdom of God. This is the same thing. Matthew just uses kingdom of heaven, all right? Um, most people thought that the kingdom of God would include political and military victory over Roman oppression, that somehow God was going to come and bring his kingdom in, which would replace Rome and topple Rome and push Rome out, and Israel would be the, the representation of God's kingdom, and they would have some descendant of David, probably, who would be this great king over this kingdom, and they would be like in Solomon's days where the nation was rich and powerful and great, okay? Now, there was lots of debate going on at the time about it, but that was sort of the majority view, okay? So they just took this idea and were constantly putting it on Jesus, and it is not at all what he did, right? He did something far greater and far deeper and more subtle, but this was John the Baptist's message, repent for the kingdom is at hand. So John is preaching repentance in, this, in the middle of this hotbed of debate over the kingdom of God, and it would have been controversial and much talked about because John was saying the kingdom of God is primarily about repentance, okay? Repentance meaning a full alignment of your thoughts, your mind, and your lifestyle and your belief system around God and his ways. Okay, that's what he meant by repentance. Paul's idea of repentance is a little, I shouldn't say more develop, developed. It was more, it was also about being justified and, you know, all, you know, being in Christ and that whole thing. This is an Old Testament idea of repentance. It really just means think like God, act like God, believe like God, act like a citizen of God's kingdom. Okay, that's what John, so John is like, this is different than what the d discussion was about the kingdom of God. This is like, Repent and be like God. Live like you belong to him. Live like you're following him. Come be a disciple of God. Be like him. His preaching contains strong hints that the kingdom of God is not what they might have expected, but nevertheless, it is at hand. It is right here. And this is Matthew's theme, all right? So what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? The phrase kingdom of God doesn't primarily refer to a physical place, okay? When we hear the word kingdom, we tend to think a physical kingdom, like a place with a border, maybe a wall or something, right, and a, and a palace with a king inside, right? 
That's a metaphor for God's kingdom, which is not just physical. It does have physical effects. We can see its effects, but it is not just a physical place. This is different. In God's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, kingdom means the reign of God, or we could say the rank, authority, and sovereignty exercised by the king. It's his rule and reign. What does God rule and reign over? Everything. There is nothing that he does not have authority over. All right, there is no thing that exists that is not underneath his reign and rule and authority. Okay? So what we're talking about is God's rule, his sovereignty, his kingship. The kingdom of God is intangible in the sense that it comes to the hearts of people first. The kingdom of God has come to your hearts. But it's also tangible because it always has visible results. When the kingdom of God comes to people, things change, right? Everything changes. People, this is what Jesus' miracles are about. It's one of Matthew's points when he talks about the miracles of Jesus, that he's demonstrating the kingdom is here. He's saying, I told you it was here. Now I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove it to you so you can see its effects right in front of you. And one of those effects is miracles. All right, the other is people become better people. When you became a Christian, you became a better person. You were a better husband, a better son, a better father, a better mother, better employee, better boss. You, and you are still getting better. You didn't become perfect. I mean, most of us, right? <laughs> All of us. So there's visible effects, but the kingdom of God is not a physical place or a physical thing, okay? It comes to the hearts of people. How does the kingdom of God grow and expand? What does that mean? Because in one sense, God is, like I said, he's king over everything, whether you acknowledge it or not. But when we talk about the kingdom of God expanding, it's people going, oh, this place has a king. And I had to submit to that king, right? People become Christians as the kingdom of God grows. And as we mature and become more and more submitted to Christ as our king, the kingdom is growing in that sense, okay? It doesn't mean that God is more in charge today than he was yesterday. It means we've just submitted more to it today than yesterday, okay? The kingdom of God and the church are not the same thing. You need to understand that because there are some key scriptures that are confusing if you confuse those two, all right? But the church is the fruit of the kingdom. It's what the kingdom of God produces. And the church is also the primary vehicle for expanding the kingdom. So when we talk, that's why we believe in planting churches. That's why we believe in churches. Because without churches, the kingdom of God, that's how God, I don't know why he did it this way. Cannot explain it to you, why he would choose such messed up people to be the tip of the spear in his mission, right? Why he would rest it on us, but he doesn't really, does he? Because he gives us the Holy Spirit who does it for us. So that's the kingdom of God. That's sort of encapsulating John's idea of what the kingdom of God is, and then Jesus picks that up and runs with it. Okay, so let's read some more. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 12. It says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, picture it, all right, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. 
And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! (laughs) Seems rude. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There's some sarcasm there. And then he tells them, verse 8, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So the Pharisees and Sadducees were the representation of not just the religious system, but also the political system in Israel. The non-Roman power seat were these people, okay? Because remember, this is a theocracy. There is no separation of church and state there, okay? It is one thing. So the powerful local people show up at your meeting to inspect whether, what, what is, is this guy a real prophet or not? Is he the real thing or not? Do we approve or do we not approve? And they show up, and you would think John would be like, okay, I'm going to put my best foot forward here. I'm going to give a good message. We're going to make sure, you know, the building is properly cleaned. We're all the appropriate distance apart from each other. Everyone's got masks on. We're doing great, okay? Every dot is dotted and every T is crossed. We're on top of it to show them that things are good and that I'm teaching good things and they don't give us any trouble. John doesn't do that. Right out of the gate, he insults them. Brood of vipers, that is an insult. Okay, I'm not suggesting that we do that ourselves. Just saying, first words out of his mouth is to call them a name. He insults them right out of the gate, and then he further goes, he basically says, look, you're coming here to judge, but I'm telling you, you need, just like everybody else, you need to repent. And repentance is not just about coming to a meeting and getting baptized. Repentance, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Meaning repent, and then there should be the fruit of that repentance, meaning you should actually act like God wants you to act. You should actually try to be like him and live according to who he is and the values of his kingdom, and you're not. You need to repent just like everybody else. You are not special. You don't get a special message today. You get the same message I'm giving to everybody because I'm a prophet. And then he goes even further to give, I think, probably the ultimate controversial message he could have given, which is to say, it's not enough to be born in the family of God. It's not enough to be born in Israel and to say, because you have your father who is Abraham, God's pleased with you. That is not enough. 
Because if God, if that's all God was concerned with, was just having people who were the descendants of Abraham, he could speak to these stones and make them whatever he wants to make them. He doesn't need you for that. God's goal is to have holy people who are living their lives oriented around him and what he commands in obedience to him. God wants repentance, not just people with the right last name or who are in the right church or with the right ancestors. So he rebukes them, and by extension, I would say the entire nation, warning them that being a member of the chosen people is not enough for God. God wants repentance. This means a change in mind and lifestyle to become fully oriented around God and his kingdom. To repent, in other words, is to become a disciple. Okay? That's a short way of saying that. So it's not enough to be a card-carrying member of the tribe. You have to actually live and think and believe like a member of the tribe. You have to be the real thing because there's no fooling God. He is not fooled by your last name. He's not fooled by the name of the church you belong to. He's not fooled by whatever theological system you ascribe to. He's not fooled by the fact that you live in America. He's not fooled by any of it. What he wants is repentance. And then he says a foreboding thing. The axe is at the root of that tree. This this. This identity that you have been leaning on as a descendant of Abraham, God is going to cut that tree down. And it says he's already got the axe at the root of it. Which we know, in retrospect, in hindsight, that's Jesus. Because Jesus came, and what did he do? He set the stage for the gospel to go beyond Israel to the Gentile world as well. Okay? That's what he was prophesying. So how do we apply this to ourselves? I'll give you a couple that are super obvious to me right now. One is for generations, I believe our nation has enjoyed God's blessings without acknowledging him as God. We, don't, we have not acknowledged him as the giver of the blessings that we enjoy. We have not acknowledged him from the sunset and the sunrise to economic prosperity and safety. As a nation, we have not borne fruit in keeping with repentance, to put it John's way. And so for me, verse 10 rings really loudly for me as I read this. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Another obvious example I've kind of alluded to already, which is church affiliation. This is one we have to remember, especially in the South, in the Bible Belt. There's a lot of this. Well, I go to the right church. I go to the good church, the best church. And however you define that, there are a plethora of ways people define what the best church is. It might be the biggest one. It might be the smallest one. I don't like them big churches. I like little ones. Those are the best ones. We sort of assume the big ones sold out at some point. They sold out. That's why they're so big. The best ones are small. Or we define it theologically. Well, I go to the church with the best doctrine. 
And there's lots of bad doctrine, and I think we have a pretty good, I think we have the best doctrine in town, because this is the church I'm in, right? But we think that way, right? We do. We think, and we start creating these criteria that tell us, that give us confidence that we are good Christians, and that we are connected to God, and we tend to put at the bottom of the list of criteria whether or not we are actually repentant. Meaning, do I think like Christ? Do I act like Christ? Do I at least want to? (laughs) What's going on in my heart in relation to Jesus and my submission to him? And let that be the criteria by which I measure my spirituality. Not by how good I think my pastor is or how big or how small or how doctrinal my church is. So we love to attach ourselves to things like nation, and we love to attach ourselves to things like political party, and we love to attach ourselves to things like the name on the church or the history of the church or the doctrine of the church or the size of the church. And we use those things to try to tell each other and ourselves that we're okay. And what John says, they were doing the same thing. They are not that different from you. We tend to be really bad hard on the Pharisees, and we should be because Jesus was and John was. However, where are you in this story? If you're in the crowd, would he be yelling at you or would, he be, would you be getting baptized? Right? That is the question. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to put my identity in things that God does not measure where I come from, who my parents were, my national identity, my political identity, even my church identity. So all that's hard, but here there's good news, all right? There's good news. The good news nationally, right, if you're thinking about that, national identity, the good news is that while our nation is shaken, the kingdom is expanding. I don't think you can deny that our nation is being shaken. But that does not mean that the kingdom is being shaken. The kingdom of God is doing the opposite. It is growing and expanding and moving. The church is not in trouble. Living Hope Church is not in trouble. The church, the true church, is not in trouble. It is growing. And we are looking at, I believe, the most fruitful season in your life is coming for the church. I am not worried. I'm worried about our nation, (laughs) but I'm excited about the church. I'm excited about the kingdom of God. It is not being shaken. It's not being disturbed in the least because who's the king of the kingdom of God? Jesus. Remember Jesus sitting in the boat with the storm? What was he doing? Sleeping, taking a nap, making a point by sleeping. He is not worried. He's not concerned. That's good news. It's also good news that you are not being measured by who you're connected to. Whether that's whatever group you're connected to, whatever group, whether it's a political group or a theological group, you know, or a church group, or whatever it is, you are not being measured by God based on any of that stuff. You are being measured only by whether or not you are in Christ or not in Christ. I keep saying this to you, and I'm going to keep saying it to you through this entire weird season we're in. There's only two categories for God. 
in Christ, not in Christ. That's it. No other categories. It's a very simple view of humanity. And while our world is dividing people off into these weird little more and more individualistic categories and columns on the spreadsheet, well, I'm a Republican, white, male, over the age of 40, under the age of 65, right? All these weird categories, God doesn't see, he doesn't care about any of them. He sees two. And that's how he sees us. That is really, really good news. It's amazing news. God is not striking down his church. He is not mad at his church. He is strengthening his church. He is growing his church. He is bringing fruitfulness to his church. This is not a bad time to be a Christian. I've got to stop saying that. I've been repenting of that this week. It's so hard. Nobody likes us anymore. Stop whining. This is the best time to be a Christian ever. Ever. It's not a bad time. It's a great time. And God has made us, the church, ready for what's coming. Whatever you are thinking is coming. The church is ready for it. Why do I know that? Because Jesus is the king. That's how I know. It's not like he's going to be surprised. I can't believe that guy got elected. I wasn't ready for this. Oh, I didn't plan ahead. I didn't prepare the church. Oh, we got to hurry up. We got to catch up. They got out ahead of me. God is not going to say that. The church is ready for what's coming. Jesus came, he died, he rose, and he wants relationship with you so that you can have a relationship with the Father. It's not based on who your daddy is, who your mama is, how you grew up, what church you're in, what any of that stuff. Here's good news. Your eternity does not hinge on how you vote in November. <laughs> or whether you voted not at all. It won't come up in the interview. Hey, let's talk about your life. I gave you 100 years. I'm going to go with 100. I gave you 100 years. Let's talk about your life. At no point is God going to be like, you know what? Let's talk about November 2020. I'm not sure, not sure we're going to let that your kind of people in here. It's not going to come up. That's good news. Relax, okay? Just relax. Calm down. All right. I got to conclude, bring this thing in for a landing. I'm having too much fun. All right. What Matthew will show us is that Jesus picks up the same message the kingdom is at hand. And we'll see his miracles and his teaching and his parables and everything through that lens. It's him saying that this is what the kingdom is like. This is what it looks like. Here's proof of the kingdom. I am the king of that kingdom, right? That he's going to explain all of that. And so our job, because Jesus picks us up from John the Baptist, and then what does Jesus do with that message? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. He gives it to his disciples, the very end of the book, which I've already read last week, I'll probably read it a few more times, because we're moving towards Matthew 28, the Great Commission. 
He says, take what I taught, which is repent for the kingdom is at hand. Take that message to the world. This is what we should be saying in as many different ways as we can. We turn prophetically to the world and say, turn to Christ, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Don't presume that because you are American or affluent or moral or woke, if I can use that word, or progressive or carry any other label that you are exempt from the call to repentance, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't lean on those things. Lean on Christ and Christ alone. You need to repent. Whether you're the rich and powerful, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, or you're way down at the bottom of the ladder, you need to hear the same prophetic message. Because God, even now, God has put the axe to the root of those trees. The things you're leaning on are not stable. God's cutting them down. So if you're trying to achieve connection with God or eternity by identifying with anything other than Jesus, including what church you attend or what nation you live in, then you need to repent and come to Jesus today. That's it. And now is a great time. There's no time like the present. There is no time other than the present right now do you feel as if the thing you have been standing on for and relying on for security and confidence is being cut out from underneath you that's God that's not just a bad time or 2020 as though 2020 is a thing and a person with a will it's God who is cutting your thing, that your idol out from underneath you. And so the message is not, oh, I'm so sorry, it'll get better in 2021. Right? Don't worry, it'll get better with the next president. Or don't worry, it'll get better when we get rid of these people in the world or we get rid of this problem in the world or we figure out an answer to this. Don't worry, it'll get better in 2021. The answer is no, repent for the kingdom is at hand. The axe is at the root. Can't you see it? Can't you feel it in your feet? The ground that you're standing on is falling away. The answer is not to find some other dumb thing to rely on. The answer is to rely on Jesus. And this is where I believe the church is called. I think John the Baptist is very, very relevant today. <laughs> the last of the Old Testament prophets who handed off the baton to Jesus making the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the message he gave tied the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And it's still relevant today. It's absolutely amazing. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for two things. One, those of us who were, who were believers, that we would be reminded, right, that God is building his kingdom and he's using the church to do it. We are not in a bad place. We're not in a scary place. We're in a good place, and God's going to move. But also for those of you who don't know Jesus, those of you online, that you would hear John the Baptist through the centuries speaking right to you, saying, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Let's pray. God, first, I do pray for those who don't know Jesus, God, whether they're here in this room or um, I've come across this live stream online or even afterwards God as it's archived God that you would right now that they would hear you speak to them by the spirit whatever they got going on 
There were confu- other confusing things or even questions about you that they may have. God, I pray that this one thing would break through all of that. And they would hear the prophet John saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. God, give them an immediate supernatural kingdom perspective in this moment. That the lights would come on and their hearts would be warmed that they would come alive to Jesus right now. And God, I pray for those of us who are believers, but maybe in this season we have been gripped by fear, whether it's fear of death, which we talked about earlier this morning, or some other fear, or trying to find new, unstable things to lean on other than you, or to identify ourselves with. God, would you clear the decks completely? And bring us to a point of repentance. That you would realign us right now by your spirit in our thinking. God, realign us in even how we feel about things. God, what we feel, we would feel the truth and we would not feel the lies. God, realign our lifestyle and our way of living and thinking and talking. God, line us up with the kingdom and not with the kingdom of this earth. God, I pray as the world in this season right now is just swirling with all kinds of opinions that we would stay anchored in to that one thing, Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.